One of the most needed things in our walk with the Lord is genuine connection, authentic relationship. God wants us to pour out our sadness to Him. He doesn't want a fake happy song. Let's join Dave Wurtzen, our Truth Encounter study leader, and see if there's a biblical basis for expressing this kind of genuine human emotion to God. One of the things we've been doing over the last several times that we've been together is studying the Word of God. We've been trying to open up the Word of God and discover together what the Bible says about music. We're trying to discover a reason to sing. And we found that the Lord Jesus and God our Father through the power of the Holy Spirit is very interested in the music. We've we've looked in the Old Testament worship. We found out that they had choirs of 300 voice choirs and they had 150 trumpets going off and, and they had just tremendous congregational singing in old Israel. We talked about the cymbals crashing and the strings playing and the lutes and the lyres. We had pipes and, and organs and all different kinds of things that they used to worship the Lord. And one of the things that we've been trying to get across is that rather than leaving all your artistic talents behind, rather than feeling as a young person as you begin to learn to blow a horn or beat in a drum or as you learn how to play the violin, that that's something that you leave behind. Based upon the Word of God, that's really not true. We learned that the Bible talks about great celebrations where they had songs of deliverance. They had great victory celebrations. We looked at the celebration when the children of Israel conquered the Egyptians and they were delivered through the Red Sea. And we found that after the Lord drowned the cream of the Egyptian army, we found all of Israel, several thousand people strong, dancing and celebrating, using tambourines and and praising the Lord because of the victory. Today we want to look at a tremendous contrast. We want to look today at two other reasons to sing. Not only do we sing songs of deliverance, but we also, when we gather together, need to sing songs of sadness. We need to sing songs of mourning. But we also need to sing songs of romance. In fact, that contrast, as I've been getting ready to teach you today, past week has just impacted me with that contrast. It's an amazing thing in the pastoral ministry that you can go through month after month and you won't do very many weddings, but I can go through several weeks where I don't do that many weddings and then suddenly there will be several of them. I also will go through several months where I don't have to do a funeral. And yet in the past week I've had to do two of them. And so as I've been getting ready to talk to you about songs of sadness and songs of celebration or songs of romance. In my own life, as I've been studying the Word of God, the underpinning of that in being part of the great contrast of life has really been driven home to me. We want to talk about songs of sadness. One of the things that we need to learn to do is that as we gather together, we need to communicate the truth to one another in our music. You see, the key to good art, the key to good art It's not all just like family entertainment. It's not all like going to the Epcot Center. It's not all like going to Disneyland. We have an idea in our culture that what spiritual biblical art is, it's like family entertainment that you would watch in a Walt Disney movie. Now I want you to stop for a minute and I want you to think about the pages of the Bible. In fact, as you young people think about growing in the arts, and some of you think about becoming writers, some of you think about becoming maybe novelists or writing stories, you say, Dave, what can I write about? What can I, as someone that's trying to grow in my ability to write and to communicate with music, what can I write about? 
I want you to think about the range of artistic expression in the Bible. You begin in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we've had prostitutes. We had Tamar acting out like she was an immoral woman. And she got involved in what could have been an incredibly disastrous scene. But the Lord God of heaven used it to bring the Messiah into the world. You talk about violence. It's very important when you think about violence. Be very careful. Some of our thinking about violence in the arts would throw out half the Old Testament and a good bit of the book of Revelation. You see, there's a difference between violence that is real, that communicates the truth about life, and violence that is false, and violence that is just, just so pretend that it creates a callous view of violence, which is where much of TV is today. You see, in our culture today, we are bathed in an atmosphere where everything is just pretend, where, where you don't see the effects of what violence brings. And that's not true. And it's not real. And that's what makes it bad art. But good art will tell the truth about life, about violence. But it will also tell the truth about love. When we gather together on Sunday morning, I want us to get beyond the cultural niceties of having a nice religious experience. I want us to deal with the truth. I want our gathering together to be a time when you and I interact together about what's really going on in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our nation, in our world. You see, church is not a place you come to have a nice, comfortable experience. Church should be a place where we come and we interact with the truth. And what old Israel did, and what we want to see in Psalm 44, is that Israel was able to get together and tell the truth to God. In fact, sometimes they said some things to God that I personally would really feel uneasy about. Turn to Psalm 44. Because Psalm 44 is one of those passages in Scripture that troubles me deeply. Because this psalm makes some statements about Israel's relationship with God that's really hard for me to understand and for me to be honest enough to admit to myself. I want you to turn to Psalm 44 and let's look at the beginning. Now it starts out by talking about the past. And everything works really well as we talk about the past. They talk about God's deliverances and God's victory in the past. And this is a song. You notice it says in the introduction to the director of the music of the sons of Korah, a maskeel. This would be their song for the morning if we were in old Israel. And the words would start out like this. Now, I want you to notice that we don't know what the sound was like. In fact, we have found some ancient musical notations from a city called Ugarit, which was in Phoenicia, which is a little bit north of our, what we consider to be Canaan. But at the city of Ugarit, they found some musical notations and they tuned a lyre and a harp and some of the ancient instruments the way they thought they might have tuned them. And then they played it and they've recorded that. And you can get that. And it's almost like listening to a voice from the past. But we really can't be sure that that's really the music that Israel played. Because we're not sure that we tuned the lyre right. We're not sure that we read the musical notations right. In fact, if you're a psalmist, Student, if you study these psalms, one of the things that really bothers you is you can't quite be sure about the rhythm. You can't be quite sure about the beat. In Old Testament studies, one of the biggest debates in the interpretation of the psalms is do we have the right meter? So you can't be sure about the beat. 
You can't be sure even about the way they structure things, and you definitely can't be sure about the kind of music that they use. Now you say, well, Dave, that's horrible. Why didn't God give us a CD recording of Psalm 44? And I want to tell you why. Because one thing I know about my Creator in Heaven, my Creator in Heaven gets really tired hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And you know what would have happened if he would have given us a CD recording of what they played in old Israel in Psalm 44? This psalm was written several hundred years, maybe a thousand years before Christ came. Now, if God gave us a CD recording, possibly from the time of David or afterwards, it's hard to locate this psalm exactly in history. But if God gave us a CD recording of that, exactly the sound that you in the psalm, what would we be doing in church today? We would be playing the CD recording. We would say, that's the holy sound. That's the sound from God. And you know what? For the last 3,000 years, God would hear nothing but the same rhythm, the same harmony, the same tune. How many of you have noticed something about music? You play a little bit, you really like it. How many of you have said, I wish they would stop playing the same song over and over because it... At exactly the same time, at almost exactly the same day, radio stations are in a sequence, and they get in a sequence where they play the same thing over and over again. And your musical taste, why are you like that? Because you're creative, because you're like God. And God likes to make everything different, and He likes new things, and, and He generates whole new ways of looking at things. That's why I believe that we don't have the rhythms and the harmony and the beats that were originally in the Psalter. But we have the words. And the words give us a great insight into the kind of reality and the kind of impact that the Lord wants us to have as we talk to him. Look what it said. It starts out like this. We have heard with our ears, O God. Notice how they address God personally, individually, as a congregation. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in the days long ago. It almost sounds like once upon a time, I remember. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. What do you think they're thinking about? That calls to mind the what? It calls to mind the, the Canaanite victories when Joshua, the walls of Jericho going down, and the great victories that Joshua and the subsequent Israelites had over the Canaanites. With your own hands, you drove them out, and you planted our fathers, you might say, planted them in the land. You crushed the peoples, and you made our fathers flourish. God promised Israel that they would become like the stars of heaven. And so they start to sing about these great victories in the past. It said it was not by their sword that they won the land, or did their arm bring them the victory. It was your right hand and your arm and the light of your face because you love them. So they start out with a remembrance from the past. And what they're saying, brothers and sisters, is we recount our salvation history and we look back. And this sounds exactly like what we studied the last time we were together. It sounds like a song of deliverance. And they're saying, Lord, our fathers told us about the great victories and, and how you did mighty things among us. Notice they go on and talk further. Verse 4. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long. And we will praise your name forever. This is an antiphony of praise. 
This is a congregation that's standing up together and they're saying, God, we praise you for the great deliverance to the Red Sea. We praise you for the victory of Midian. We praise you for the victory of the walls of Jericho falling down. Then they say this, we realize that it wasn't because of us. This is not a people that's depending upon themselves. These people are saying, we won these victories because of you. We won these victories because of your might. Sure, we had to take our sword out of its scalpel, and certainly we had to go out and, and try to bring our war horses into the battle, but the real victory belongs to you. How many of you think that's a people of trust? I mean, how many of you would like God to write this? You know, you're the one that's talking here, and God is saying, this is the way you talk to him. Man, it would be great. You're trusting him, you're humble, you're dependent upon him. It goes even further. Look at verse 9. But... But, but, now this is a major transition in this psalm. Look what they say. But you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy. And our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us to be devoured like sheep. And you've scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. How many of you in your prayer life talk to the Lord? Or how many times do we get together on Sunday morning? Do we talk to the Lord that honestly? Now what has happened? Let's get this scene. This group of people are gathered together on a Saturday, because it's the Old Testament. They're gathered together on their Sabbath. And as they gather together, as the audience is sitting there, there are several of the men that are no longer there. Because the women, their wives, have just had to bury them. Because they went out in a battlefield and they were defeated. In other words, they prayed to the Lord. And they asked the Lord for victory. They asked the Lord to deliver them. They remembered the great days in the past when the Lord delivered them. They let the priests bless them. They went out against the enemy. And as they fought against the enemy, the enemy was able to overpower them. The enemy overpowered them so badly that the enemy swept through their city and took many of their kids captive, pillaged the entire city. That's what it's talking about. The idea of being sold into slavery. They're saying that, that the Lord God enabled our enemy to come in here, took some of our children, took some of our families, and just sold them. And God didn't even get anything for it. I want you to feel the bitterness of this. You see, this psalm has an incredible irony in it. This people starts out saying, we praise you, we adore you, we remember what you did in the past, but this people is sitting there in the present, and they are defeated. Now, there's a real easy answer to that. You see, most of us will sit there and go, well, man, they need to really think about this. The reason they got defeated is because they blew it, because they sinned. The reason God didn't fight for them is they didn't have all their ducks lined up right. You see, if they would have read their Bible more, if they would have prayed more, if they would have been more faithful in their church attendance, then God would have really met their need. You see, the problem is, the reason that they suffered the defeat, the reason they went through this terrible time of suffering and, and hurt, is because they just weren't what God wanted them to be. Now, that's an easy answer. It makes all, everything look, everything lines up. In other words, if we go through a time of suffering and defeat, then it's always our fault. Now, sometimes it is. And the Bible is very strong that we can sing sad songs sometimes because of our own failure, because of our own sin. And those kind of failures are really sad and really hurt. 
but at least we have some kind of understanding in them. But I want you to realize if you're going to face the truth about human existence today, sometimes we're going to sing a sad song and there's not going to be a good reason why the song had to be said. You see, the way life is, sometimes we have to go through suffering, sometimes we have to go through pain. It's totally different than the health and wealth good news that's been heralded across this land. Life is not like going to Disneyland. Heaven is not going to be an eternal Disneyland. Heaven's going to be when God finally resolves the agony that we're living in right now and helps us to have answers in the light of his ultimate love. But right now, in this life, there are some really sad songs, and some pains, and some suffering that none of us really understand. And one of the things that we do is that it's very hard for us, as God's people, to talk honestly about those sad songs. Just over the past few months, some of our people have gone through some really sad things with their families, with different needs that come up. And the tremendous temptation when we go through times of great sadness is just to want to get away. We want to get all by ourselves. Do you know why? Because it's hard for us to come among God's people and just tell the truth about the way we feel. But you know what? When a group of people start realizing that this relationship with God, this intimacy with God, can stand, can stand really telling the truth to Him, that's when we begin to have a real relationship. You see, most of us in all of our relationships are a little bit afraid to say what's really on our mind. In your marriages... Some of you have moved away from intimacy for several years now because you never really tell the truth to your mate. Because you know you get certain responses when you tell the truth to your mate. And so you don't say those things anymore. You just don't tell the truth. And your attitude is, well, if I told the truth, she'll be gone. If I tell the truth, they'll be gone. And then we won't have a relationship. I got news for you. You don't have a relationship. I want you to get this. People have left our church because as we meet together on Sunday morning, we open up this book. And I've had people even tell me, when you open up that book, you talk about some things that really make me uncomfortable. You talk about some things that, that just I don't think should be talked about in church. As I grow older, I want you to realize life is just way too short for us to gather together and for me to just give you a nice sweet platitude. I need to share the truth with you. I need to tell you from the depths of my heart what the Lord is teaching me and what the Lord is teaching you and what we're learning together about truth. Part of our relationship together should be that we can ask the really hard questions. This psalm is asking the really hard questions. These people are discouraged, they are despondent, they are in shock, they're in agony because they've just been destroyed in the battlefield. And they're wrestling with, why has this happened? And the next part of the psalm goes on and wrestles with this. Why has God allowed this to happen? Look what it says. It says in verse 13, You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. Whenever we go through a time of suffering, one of the things you can count on is that someone will say, 
Well, there must have been something in their life that caused it. And all over the area, you'll hear. You see, when someone goes through a time of suffering, everybody wants to try to protect themselves from the time of suffering. You see, we all live in a really neat world. If I can explain that the reason why a certain tragedy happened is because of this and this and this and this, then it kind of can protect me from the chaos that can hit our life. And then we heap scorn and derision. Remember Job's friends? And Job's friends, and you know, they, they were supposed to be his friends, but as he sat there in the ash heap, man, they just poured ridicule on him. They rubbed salt into his wounds. They kept trying to explain why he was sitting in the ash heap, but none of their answers really added up. We need to be really careful not to do that when we gather together as God's people. And I'm just being really honest with you, because I do that. In the pastorate, I have to deal with one suffering after another. To be really honest with you, you say, Dave, what's one of the biggest pulls and pressures on your life? It's really hard to sing sad songs again and again and again and again. See, most of you can sing sad songs and then you sing happy songs and you might go through a long, long time when you don't have to sing sad songs again. But by the nature of the pastoral ministry, when you sing a sad song... The Lord wants to use us, and we've got to be there. For example, if there's a funeral, I can't say, well, I'm sorry, I've done too many sad songs. I'm not going to be there. You just can't do that. And so one of the real pulls in life is that you start singing sad songs, and you start to feel like that's all there is, and you want to run away from it. You want to get away from it. You want to know why so many middle-aged pastors are running away? That's why. It's why all of you run away. It's hard to face the reality of life and recognize that there's some incredibly tough times, really sad songs. Some like it quiet and slow. Some like it fast and loud. No matter what choices are made, the music director will lose if we as God's people are not focused on expressing our love to God. Let's pray that we will banish pride and selfishness from the discussion of music in our churches. Let's pray that all of us will fall deeper in intimate love with the Savior. Down through history, in every corner of the globe, lovers always create new songs. Let's pray that we will love God with all of our hearts, our souls, and our strength, and will allow the Spirit of God to renew our song.